Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome to this week's episode of the Commercial Connection Podcast. I am your host, Spencer Taylor with Mill Creek Commercial. It is wonderful to have you with us. Thank you so much for joining. Uh, today, we join the Collier's Happy Hour discussion from May 20th of 2021. Kevin Long, our CEO, uh, shares his insights and his sort of hot takes on the proposed Biden tax changes. Uh, they include step up in basis, adjustment to the capital gains tax, and adjustments to the 1031 exchanges. So uh, we hope you enjoy. Please, please, please uh, share if you feel like it's worth sharing. Thanks a lot. We sure appreciate it. Okay. Well, welcome everyone to the happy hour. And um, I just I want to let you know next week we're going to have the Fourth Street Clinic talking about um, their homeless medical services and the initiatives and what's going on in the homeless community in downtown Salt Lake um, and really the whole state. And it's uh, really is a, a big deal with COVID and what's going on and everybody getting back out there and being more back downtown. Um, they have a really important uh, mission, and it's it's uh, very interesting to me. I'm on their corporate advisory board, and um, I'd love it if you join us next week. So, with that, though, this week we have the um, hot topic of 1031s, and an expert in all of that, Kevin Long. Take it away. Okay, Randy, I, uh, uh, I am going to be talking about the proposed tax uh, changes uh, that the current administration has in front of Congress, uh, and uh, just a little bit of background relative to that. They focus heavily on 1031 exchange, uh, and so that's what we're going to go through. I'm going to try to get through this uh, relatively quickly, and uh, my first question is who knows who these two men are? Answer to the first guy you should have known. That's like, that's pop culture. Alexander Hamilton, right? Uh, See the Federalist or the, uh, what's the other guy? What's the other thing? Federalist and uh, something. Yeah, so he was, uh, he was one of our founding fathers. Uh, um, his biggest role was in the uh, President Washington's administration, uh, and uh, there's a whole play on Broadway about, about him. The second guy, all Utahns should know, uh, there's a statue of him at our state capitol, and his name is Mariner Eccles. And, uh, and so the, the question that follows is, Hey, why does Mariner Eccles have a statue at the Utah State Capitol? And B, why is he on the same slide as Alexander Hamilton, right? Uh, and the, the quick combination of that is that Alexander Hamilton is considered uh, the father of our monetary system. Uh, he federalized debt and banking system under the uh, under the 
under George Washington's administration, had a lot of opposition from cabinet levels, Thomas Jefferson, et cetera. They ended up striking a deal, moving the state capital from, or not the state capital, U.S. capital from Hamilton's home state of New York City to Washington, D.C., which is further in, essentially in the south where Jefferson was from. And uh, if you probably heard the, the song uh, in the room where it happened. Uh, so that deal uh, kind of embraced uh, Alexander Hamilton as the father of our monetary system. Mariner Eccles is considered the father of our current monetary system. He created the Fed, uh, was a founder of what is now Wells Fargo Bank, it was first security back in the day. Uh, and the Eccles family, uh, huge, uh, you know, money uh, people, uh, but Mariner, the, I think he's the grand uncle of Spencer Sr., uh, is uh, uh, nationally considered the father of our current monetary system. Uh, I bring that up because uh, in uh, 2018, we uh, um, reinstigated uh, a thing called Elevating or Created Elevating Commercial Real Estate. And it was a, a big event for all of our clients. We held it up in Park City. Uh, I think we had that year uh, uh, Steve Young, perhaps, as our keynote speaker. Um, but, but we had a, a, a really high-quality battery of speakers. And uh, one of our speakers was Randy Quarles. Uh, Randy is an FOL, friend of Lou. Uh, Randy is also married into the Eccles family. Uh, he married Spencer's daughter. Uh, but he's also a law graduate of Yale and uh, a very highly acclaimed economist uh, and monetary expert. Uh, in 2017, he was appointed vice chairman of the Fed uh, in the, uh, in the uh, Trump administration. He was approved by Congress. Uh, and so he, uh, he is... Uh, a very intelligent and uh, very deep, thought-filled gentleman. He understands economics, tax policy, uh, and finances better than anybody I've ever sat in a room with. Uh, just a, an amazing individual. Um, and out of his talk up in Park City to... Uh, then CBC Advisors, now Collier's Group. I took two really interesting things that he, that he said. Um, he said the strength of the U.S. economy is not as based as much on our tax policy and our financial policy, et cetera, specific policies, as it is based on predictability and consistency. An investor, foreign or domestic, can invest in the United States and understand there is consistency in our policy. And that is one of our biggest strengths. That's why you don't see administrations move a lot uh, in, in policy. They'll deal with rates, 
but they don't make major tax policy changes uh, very frequently, right? And so uh, that is uh, that is one of our biggest strengths. The second thing that he stated uh, at that point in time, uh, there was a lot of uh, question because it was in 2014. Um, the Obama administration was was struggling coming out of the, the Bush administration. Um, and we weren't getting traction in the economy yet. And uh, people were really scared. And he said, don't worry about it. Uh, the decrease in gas prices uh, that we were going on, a, there was a big dip in gas prices at that point in time. It was about a 30% reduction. He said, that decrease in gas prices puts as much stimulus into the economy as all of the stimulus packages, and he was a member of the Bush administration, as all of the stimulus packages we, the Bush administration put into the economy. So don't panic. The economy is going to grow out of this because of oil prices, right? Um, so uh, uh, two, two takeaways from six years ago. Uh, now we're today, right? Um, what happened on April 28, 2021, right? First, uh, well, not the first, but a very, a, the most significant change to our investing infrastructure since Mark Hatfield and Bob Papwood put together the Deficit Reduction Act of 1984 which really played with how we deal with long-term investments in real estate, right? So we call it the American Families Plan. Uh, it's been put forth by the Biden administration. Uh, so remember what Randy said, the strength in our economy is consistency, right? The American Families Plan is putting not just a small deviation in our ship, but it's a significant, probably 30 degree turn. And we're gonna talk about that today uh, and how the American Families Plan is really not good for families. Uh, and we're gonna take a look at that. Um, in fact, uh, the second thing that's going on, and this is not related to taxes, but it's something that maybe should concern us uh, as relative to the economy, um, if a 30% reduction in tax prices, or not tax prices, gas price at the pump, put as much money into the economy as all of the Bush tax stimuluses, the question I just present for you to muse on and not to answer, what is the impact on the economy if on the day that Donald Trump was voted out of office, tax prices were $1.99 a gallon. And yesterday, it cost me $100 to fill up my car at $3.28 a gallon, right? What impact is that on the economy? Just a question to muse about. It's not related to taxation, um, but... Uh, uh, and a concern for all of us as we look at how we benefit families moving forward. Um, I 
from a real estate uh, perspective, uh, the family's plan is really uh, a tax hat trick for real estate. It affects us in three sections of tax code. The first section that we're impacted in is section 1222. That sets um, capital gains rates. Obviously, capital gains tax rates impact real estate, right? The second section uh, that is of grave concern to us as real estate individuals is section 1031. <clears throat> That's like everybody uh, says to you, it just rolls off our tongue, right? 1031, 1031 exchange. Yeah, section 1031. It's a section of IRS code. It allows uh, investors of real property, so just real estate now, to trade property and defer taxes, right? So that's what Section 1031 does. But probably the most significant change is happening to Section 1014. This is a section that will have that will affect all of us. This is the section that allows for a step up in basis upon our passing, right? So we're going to talk about each one of these sections. I'm going to move through it quickly. Um, and what I want each of Everybody who's listening to this and can stay awake through the whole thing, uh, I, I want you to share this message. This is a message that needs to be shared because there is a lot of misinformation about the impact of, of these proposed tax changes and who they really affect. So first, we're going to talk about Section 1222. Um, <clears throat> this section actually increases the capital gains tax rate to 39.6%. It'll be the highest it has ever been uh, for, for top earners if this passes. Uh, and what we, uh, at just at the 39.6%, as part of the Affordable Health Care Act, um, they actually added another 3.8% to capital gains taxes. Um, we call it net investment income tax, the tax that only affects the rich, but no, it affects everybody when you have a capital gain. Um, and that's another 3.8%. So the effective capital gains tax is 43.4%. The logic that follows that is that if we raise capital gains taxes from 15% and 20% where they set today, and if we double it, we're going to double our income. I want to share a little chart with you. Here's a historical chart of capital gains taxes. The what uh, Congress and, and many people who follow this thought fail to uh, effectualize is that real estate transactions and stock transactions are almost always transactions of choice. We choose when to take our capital gains. If you look at this chart, the red line is capital gains taxes. And you can see in Congress, uh, uh, and, and it's, uh, you know, back in 1968, they started raising capital gains taxes. And the green line represents realized capital gains, uh, the, 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 the amount of capital gains that were actually realized. As those taxes went up, the government realized even though the taxes are going way up, they're not realizing much gain until the taxes come down and then the green, the shaded green area goes up. The taxes, they, so they get this 
big spike in capital gains. They announced that the rate's going back up. Everybody sells before it goes up. You see that spike. Then they go back down. We go through a number of years with the, with the uh, tax rate at 28%. Then it goes back down and bam, we have another spike. And then it comes back down a little bit, goes down more to uh, 15%. And then we have another spike. It's currently at 15 and 20. Uh, and they're proposing to move it back up to 40. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that the realized gain taxes to the federal government will plummet if they do this. And, and, and these are uh, maneuvers to raise money to, uh, to effectuate the policies that are included in the proposal. So it's if you look at history, playing with the capital gains rate never raises money when you raise the capital gains rate because 1031 exchange transactions are capital transactions are uh, transactions of choice and investors simply choose not to in in engage in those transactions and shelter their money offshore oh, to do to avoid it. Yeah. I have a question. Um, they're talking about the capital gains rate for high earners. And so I think there's a threshold and my question is how, they, is, how do they establish that though? Is it based on the that year's income or previous yes. year's income? Yes. Because does the capital gain income create that level of income yes. or is it based on your ordinary income? No, it's your capital gain. So if you're, if you're so, selling a, a $2 million piece of real estate, we all deal in those circles, uh, and you have a, a $1.5 million capital gain, your capital gains tax is the 40, the net of 43%. Yeah, that's your gain that year. Uh, it's that tax year. So my uh, question was, if you make $95,000 a year for five years, and then all of a sudden you make $3 million because you sold the family farm, um, that puts you over the income limit? Correct. See, that's Randy, what they got to take out. That's the insidious part, Randy, because it's not, it's when you have the sale, right, Kevin, that that's when you're going to have the bump in income and that's when Correct. it's going to hit. Yep. Uh, and, and so everybody says it's the filthy, the, 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 the misconception, and I'm going to go into the, the misconceptions. Everybody believes that Section 1031 deferments are for the filthy rich. They're not, right? Um, they are for the regular person. They, we are the people who benefit from Section 1031. So the, the changes to Section 1031, they try to address this a little bit, uh, but in this uh, section, they will eliminate the use of tax deferment on capital gains in excess of $500,000. Um, and that way, they're only soaking it to the rich. Uh, I'm going to show you a, uh, uh, an example of how uh, here in just a little bit of how they're just stealing wealth building tools from the middle class uh, is what they're doing with it. Um, but that's uh, the proposed um, concept. Um, I wrote recently uh, an article, uh, The Five Unintended Consequences of Limiting a 1031 Exchange. Uh, and those are the diminished quality of rental housing, 
all of us trade and or at least are around fourplexes being traded or bought and sold. And uh, whenever that happens, the tired owner leaves. He's typically used up his depreciation. And even if he exchanges out of it, um, the new buyer comes in, he gets a new depreciation level, and he is going to almost always improve the property. He, he wants to put new granite countertops in, put in new refrigerator. He has the capital to do that. He has new vision, new capital, new energy to improve that working class housing stock. If we take away 1031 exchanges, the sale that preceded this isn't going to happen because it's an exchange of choice. If I'm going to get taxed on that, I'll just keep my property and I'll do the minimum I can do to just keep my rental, I'll discount his rental, whatever. But an unintended consequence number one of, of these tax changes is diminished quality of rental housing. Unintended consequence number two, and these are if we've got any land dogs uh, here in the, on, the, uh, on the call, uh, it's suburban sprawl. The number one tool for developers to acquire farmers ground in the path of development is 1031 exchange because the farmer is 55 years old. He's happy farming for another 10 years. But the developer comes along and says, hey, I want to buy your farm. Your property is now worth $2 million. And I'll pay you $2 million for your 100 acres. Farmer says, I have no interest in selling you my 100 acres for $2 million because I'll have to pay 49. I have to give 1 million of it to the federal government. And so he says, okay, let me uh, just uh, trade you over to ground that's 10 miles out of the path of growth. You can go buy 300 acres and we'll trade you and you don't have to pay any more money for it. And you can now farm 300 acres. Farmer says, great deal. Ivory Homes buys the ground and we actually have a pretty consistent path of growth. That's how the Utah, uh, Salt Lake and Utah Valleys have been able to grow in a, in a very consistent manner, right? Um, if we don't have that tool, it's going to become a patchworth quilt, right? And when you can get that piece of property in the scenario that I just told you about, you're going to have to compensate that farmer for the taxes he's paying if he's willing to sell to you because he can't trade now. And what's that going to do? It's going to increase the cost of the ground. What's that going to do? It's going to increase the cost of the house that's built on that ground. And typically, where entry-level housing goes is to the suburbs where ground is not as expensive. And if our ground costs go up, the cost of entry-level housing goes up. And so unintended consequence number three, cost of entry-level housing accelerated uh, without 1031 exchanges. Number four is the decreased quality of life for our senior community. And this is a point that most uh, uh, policymakers disregard or don't understand. 
And that is the 1031 exchanges are a uh, instrument of choice. <clears throat> Somebody gets 63, 65, 72 years old, and they've been in they, they've been in rental housing. That's what they know. They work it. Uh, the, the husband mows the lawn, takes out the trash, deals with the tenant. The wife keeps the books, advertises for the tenants. And together, they've built this fabulous retirement nest egg. And maybe it's worth a million dollars, right? And if they go to pay the tax on selling that, they don't, they don't have a million dollars that they're earning 4% return on after they figure all their costs. They now have 700,000 or 600,000 because they have to pay all these taxes and they've got to invest that in the stock market or an annuity and get a 4% return. And they're, they're just, their quality of life diminishes. With a 1031 exchange, they're able to trade that into a triple net lease property that's got a lease in place for another 15, 20 years. They take off to Hawaii. The investment grade tenant pays their rent and and their quality of life increases. I mean, that's what I sell all the time is, is that increase. And so without this, the the uh, our our aging community is going to make the choice to stay in their triple T monster, tenant, trash, and toilets. And they're going to be tied to these residential rentals because they're not going to sell them. They're not going to pay 49% uh, or 40% um, capital gains. Uh, and so they're stuck in, in this house. They can't afford to get out of it. And it'll diminish their, uh, their lifestyle. Um, and the fifth one, oops, I, if I hit enter, that's better, uh, is a decrease uh, in federal revenue from other avenues. And I'm going to go into that uh, in, later in here. But this tax proposal will actually, there's a number of studies that support this, but I'm going to talk to you in real terms in stuff you understand and you deal with every day, and you're going to see, oh, yeah. Son of a gun, this makes total sense, right? So let's talk just for a minute about Section 1014. Um, this is the step up in basis. Um, this is the hardest one for me to, uh, to really deal with um, because uh, I, 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 have a, I have a problem coming up with a social or an economic argument why we should have a step up in basis. At, at when we transfer wealth to my children, other than I've worked my whole life for it, it should go to my kids, it shouldn't go to the government, right? Um, so there's those emotional arguments. Um, but when you combine Section 1014 with Section 1031, and I might add that only 14% of people who enter into a 1031 exchange carry that exchange all the way to benefit from a 1014. So this isn't really that big of a deal. But uh, the Biden administration uh, is proposing to eliminate Section 1014, meaning that when we pass away, um, our estate will have to pay capital gains taxes on all of our um, equities and our real estate as they're sold. The, the uh, estate will have to pay taxes on them. Or if we don't sell them, our, uh, the, the um, heirs have to pay the taxes out of pocket, right? So it's a uh, it, it, it's it's yucky. Uh, it's there. It's a hard one to argue. Uh, 
I, I think it's there because Congress congressmen uh, are, are a little older uh, demographic and they see this coming in their own lives and they don't want to give a portion of what they've worked for to the government so, so they can relate to it. So that's why it's always stayed there. But the Biden administration wants to uh, eliminate it. And, um, so that's another issue we're dealing with at this point in time. Uh, the question I ask when I'm giving this presentation is who in the crowd, if I were with you, I'd ask by show of hands, who thinks a Roth IRA or a Roth 401k is a bad idea? All right, that's my, that's my question. Who thinks that? Almost nobody, always nobody says, I think that's a bad idea. Everybody says, yeah, that's a great idea. It's good public policy. It instills, uh, encourages investment, et cetera, in that. Um, <clears throat> then why does Congress and the Biden administration think 1031 exchanges are of the devil? Because they are the same thing. For a Roth IRA or a Roth 401k is the same thing as section to stocks and bonds as section 1031 is to real estate. Let's compare for a minute. Um, Roth IRA on the left, 1031 exchange on the right. You come into it, initial investment with already taxed dollars when you start your investment, right? You're able to trade stocks in an IRA 401k without any tax on gains because we're encouraging you to save for your retirement. In a 1031 exchange, you're able to trade, trade, not sell, trade your real estate without paying a tax or a gain because we want you to build wealth. We want a successful society. At least when I was growing up, we did. Um, and then when you sell your stock and take the income out of your Roth IRA or Roth 401k, you pay a tax, right? When you sell the property or take income out via rent or whatever, you pay a tax. They are the same policy. There is way more wealth in a Roth IRA, or in, in, our, in our retirement systems, than there is in 1031 exchanges. And if Congress comes after the 1031 exchange, what's next? They are philosophically the same thing. Now, I want to talk to you about my philosophical friend, Jared Richards, right? Um, Jared is a 35-year-old male. He has a family that the new Biden tax code is is here to benefit, right? It's the family's tax plan, right? He's come across $100,000. Maybe it was uh, from an inheritance. Maybe it was from uh, a 401k that came out, whatever. But he has $100,000. He's 35 years old. And he comes to Joe Realtor. And he says, you know, I really love real estate. My dad told me they're never making any more of this. I want to invest in real estate. Right. So on the left, we have under our current tax structure, the way today is today, what we could do with this gentleman uh, and how much money the government would make off of off of this hundred thousand dollars. On the right, we have the American Families Plan, the plan put in place to benefit Jared. Right. And, and see how much money the government's going to make and how Jared's going to come out of that plan. 
So we take uh, under current situation, he leverages into a $400 rental property, 25% or 75% LTV. Uh, good real estate agent says that's a good place today to be. You're able to cash flow if that works well. Uh, under the American Families Plan, we give him the same advice. Uh, in years one through seven, uh, in both plans, his taxable annual gain because of depreciation, that's not going to change, is zero. Same thing in the American Families Plan. Uh, but in uh, under current tax code, after seven years, let's assume he's had an average of 5% a year in appreciation. That's not an unreasonable assumption, right? So let's allow him in, in year seven, after year seven, beginning of year eight, to do a 1031 exchange. He sells the property for $540,000. He's paid off a portion of the loan, so he has more money to put down, and he leverages into a $1.13 million piece of property. He pays transactional costs of $32,000. And, and so now he moves forward. But our guy in the American Families Plan, he can't because he can't 1031 exchange out of his property. He'd have to pay again, so he just sets tax. He just sets uh whoops i went backwards sorry guys oh no this is okay so now we go to years eight through 14. so we have our current guy who 1031 exchanged up his now taxable annual gain because he had to leave his depreciation alone he couldn't he, he transferred his depreciation so now the government is taxing uh income of one thousand dollars every year on him but our american families plan guy He's getting increases. I'm figuring 3% a year in income increases. He's having no taxable gain still because he still has his depreciation. Um, and that goes on. So after another seven years, our Jared does another 1031 exchange. He sells his property for $1.5 million. He leverages up to $3.2, essentially, million dollar property. He pays transactional costs of $91,000. So now he's paid $120,000 in transactional costs. Those are service fees that have been taxed by the federal government. Our friend uh, in the American Families Plan, he continues to own his existing property, puts no money into the economy uh, because he doesn't do a transaction. Current tax structure, American Families Plan, years 15 through 21. Our guy under the current... It, a structure is having a $26,555 annual gain every year that's taxable. Our American Families guy is still having no gain because his depreciation is offsetting his gain. He's really happy. He's got this tax benefit. He's really happy, right? We get to the third exchange. Our guy sells his property for $4.3 million, million. He leverages into a $9 million property. He has over a quarter of a million dollars in transaction costs, money that goes into the economy and is taxed. Our friend over here continues to own his existing property because he's got a 40% uh, tax that he can't 1031 exchange around. We go uh, into that year, they make tons of money. Uh, Jared uh, Richards in the current tax structure. Um, I wonder if. Uh, Am I able to play this? Yes, I am. So here is here's what's going on now. So our guy is 23 years old. 
Or no, it's been 28 years since he did this at 35. He's now 63 years old. Here he is on the golf course. There he is. This is his life. This only takes about a minute. His phone rang. That's what always happens to me on the golf course. Phone yeah. rings and the water goes in the, the ball goes in the water. So our guy uh, dealing with this stuff. Three years old. says, okay, it's time to exit. Under the current tax, oh, no, no wait, that should have came later. So he, he does another exchange. Sorry, that was, oh, no, this is the exit. So he made in years 22 through 28, he made $98,000 a year in taxable gain. Our American Families Plan guy made nothing. So now he's tired of, of being a residential landlord. Even though he has management, he still gets calls on the golf course and whatnot. So he decides, I'm going to exit. So our current structure, he sells the property for over $12 million. He pays transactional costs of 7.3. So now over this 28-year period, of 28 year period, he's paid over a, over a million dollars into the economy in transaction costs. He pays $3,264,000 in taxes. Under the current tax structure, right? Our American Families Plan guy, the guy who's been benefited by the American Families Plan, he sells his property for $960,000. He pays transactional costs of $57,000. He pays taxes of $323,000. The federal government got 10 times more taxes plus all the money that went into the economy under the existing tax structure than they do if they shut it down and people aren't able to 1031 exchange. That's, that's the very clear message. All of us as real estate professionals see this as this is very, very real, um, but um, it's just uh, messed up. Uh, so our new guy, uh, our, our Jared, in under the current tax structure, he has a $7.8 million retirement lifestyle. He's living life. Our American Families Plan guy has $179,000, worrying over bills. He's relying on his Social Security check uh, and stressing out. That's what the American Families Plan does for the American middle class family. And... Um, uh, that's my presentation, and I, and, and I would like all of you to take a small portion of this message and deliver it, because we are not filthy rich pigs that are taking advantage of 1031 exchanges. Like, Adam and I now manage real estate funds. We, because we're in funds, we can't take advantage of 1031 exchange. The, the very wealthy people that invest in our funds and we manage, we don't use 1031 exchange. We pay taxes when we sell. It's the people who buy the price. 
it's it's the American families that benefit from 1031 exchange and lower capital gains taxes. It's not the filthy rich. Deliver the message. Thank you for happy hour. And I wish I had a bottle of whiskey to share with everybody. There you go. Here's my soda. So All right, awesome. Kevin, thank you. And I want to call out Jared Booth. I think you're on the phone now. Can you unmute? And I, I'd love to hear your uh, perspective because I know you've been working on this for a while and there's a, you know, you have a good grasp on what's going on on, uh, on the current likelihood of this happening. So yeah, Jared, thanks. can you talk to us? Can you hear me okay? Is it, is that yep. coming through? Yeah. So Kevin, okay. maybe stop sharing your screen now. I'm trying to figure that one out. <laughs> Right at the top, there's a red thing that says stop sharing. Hey, what a what a great presentation, Kevin. Um, I what I love about this is is you've given some great. I mean, uh, I love some sound bites, and and this is an educational component that we need to do. Maybe I'll share a few, and and I I'm excited about this. Um, maybe just a quick a quick comment. Uh, you know, as a background is that, um, from an you know, from an ecosystem standpoint of, of our commercial real estate market, um, there is a national trade organization. Um, the trade organization uh, is called the Realtors. You think that they're just residential, but they actually own CCIM, SIOR, the counselors of real estate, land um, agents. Uh, so it's not in competition. It's a foundational benefit for all. So there's a couple hundred thousand, uh, you know, commercial realtors almost 1.5 million members in the country, and we have a very strong lobby. So what's interesting is that there are 80 committees, about 4,000 volunteers across the country. They're very much like our CCIM board of directors that we have here. Um, I have an interesting opportunity this year to be in charge of all of the commercial um, and property management and uh, appraisal uh, committees, so that's 10 committees with 20 chairs and vice chairs, about 500 people like our CCIM board who meet on these issues. And so we have a commercial federal policy um, group. It's tied in again when you say, hey, we're part of a 1.5 million member lobby. We are the strongest lobby um, respectfully up on the hill. Um, and so it, it's an exciting thing to do. And so it's been an interesting perspective to kind of watch some of this go back and forth. Um, uh, there is a, a coalition in addition that is uh, is going after this. It's um, these, these issues. There's an alternative and direct investment securities association, the American Land Title Association, the Federation of Exchange Accommodators, ICSE, uh, Mortgage Bankers Association, NAOP, uh, you know, NAR, all these different groups, Real Estate Roundtable that are, are working on this. And I'll share a link. Kevin, you may have these, but I'll share a link to some of the studies that they have done um, and some of their talking points. I'll just share a few sound bites because it is an education component that we need to do with all of our neighbors. Uh, we need to do it with our public policy makers. Uh, also with agents, I am surprised and, and, and we sometimes say tax-free exchange. Don't ever say that. It's not a tax-free exchange, as Kevin said. It's a trade, right? And so, so as we trade those, um, this is an, a, a 
provision that adds liquidity into an illiquid asset class, right? Here are some stats that might be fun that uh, I'll share also that, that, that Kevin kind of had too. Um, 5% recent data is that 5% of the exchange properties are held by regular corporations. Again, that breaks down the myth that this is the super wealthy or, or big corporations. They are mom and pop sole proprietor or pass through business investors. Um, the 40% um, of the, the 1031s that are done are done in the multifamily industry. So if we, if we have a housing issue in our country, um, or, you know, locally, nixing, as Kevin said, these 1031s is really challenging to the housing stock. Uh, as, as you just shared, that's the way we get in there. Taxes are paid that, that are 19% um, higher when a property is exchanged and then sold versus having never been exchanged. And Kevin, you know, mentioned the, the idea that 86, I think it is, or 88%, no, the 2015 study said that 88% of exchange properties were disposed of through a taxable sale later. And so you do get that that higher amount of tax that comes through uh, because of that liquidity. So those are just some interesting anecdotes that I thought may be, might be of interest and uh, grateful to have learned a lot from Kevin. And I can share a link uh, maybe through the chat that will give you uh, access to all of the studies and some of these um, talking points that we can use. Matter of fact, while Kevin would have done a better job, I actually presented to Representative Burgess Owens uh, yesterday on this very topic um, because of because of these things. And who we need to convince is not as much our legislators, but it's the staffers that are all millennials and don't get it uh, in their offices. And so this 401k example that Kevin brought up is spot on perfect. And that's what we've been talking about because they get that and, and kind of understand how this is equivalent in commercial real estate. That's all I've got to share. Thanks, Jared. So um, I'd love to set up a happy hour with some staffers and with you to give further uh, clarification on this stuff. I mean, Kevin, you did a great job of laying out the scenarios, but we all need to be as uh, involved as we can be. And I love the NAR uh, political action uh, group. So just do that. But Jared, if you want to set up a informational happy hour with any of those guys to, with our congressman, I, I think that's important. We can give us some feedback. Um, yeah, Randy, big deal. Uh, yeah, let's do that. Uh, let me tell you how I see this playing out. Um, the House is not going to, is not important. The Democrats are going to pass the act. They have the votes, they'll pass it. It comes to the Senate that is 50% Republican, 50, 50 Republicans, 50 Democrats, and vice, uh, um, and the vice president has the deciding vote. In normal, in normal legislation, you can, you have to have 60 votes in the Senate and we would be totally safe. But this is going to come in under a clause that allows a simple majority because it affects budget uh, and it's a budgetary item. And it's uh, so we need to persuade one Democrat. We need to hold all Republicans and persuade one Democrat. 
and the key person, we're in a very key place because it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out who are the two Republicans right now who Democrats listen to. Mitt Romney and Susan Collins, right? And so if we can have a good, clean conversation with Uncle Mitt and explain to him how important this is, if he can bring over one Democrat that would that sees the myths that are being spread uh, about how this would be beneficial for society, uh, we can stop. Uh, we can stop this. Uh, so that's really where us here in Utah need to focus our attention is to get Senator Romney to convince a Democrat to vote with him to preserve 1031 exchanges. Well, so Mitt Romney understands real estate very well, very well. I'm sure. Yeah, this and isn't a so hard sell for Mitt. If anyone knows a staffer or somebody that could, an influencer that could come join us, we need to be in their ear. So maybe Luke what? can help us with that or Jared or. Um, yeah. Well, and, and we, and I don't know that we always have the perspective that, you know, that really our water's carried by these associations. There's, there's someone that is assigned to each congressional staffer or each con congressperson as their federal political coordinator. And so we have a handful of those folks. We give the, the Realtor Association gives money to them. Uh, it's a, it's a person that they see year in and year out. That's the path to get into these folks, and that's who we present with when we when we go there. And so they'll often, you know, we we would be there, have been there this last week in person. Um, but uh, you know, to your point, Kevin, uh, it's not a hard sell for uh, the folks that we work with. Um, it's just, uh, it, it, and uh, you know, while it's important that we that we jump on them, that the the coalition is not necessarily feeling like the sky is falling, precisely because it is such a huge economic driver and it would be such an impact if it totally went away. As a matter of fact, in New York, um, there's some local taxes. They tax almost cent. The proposal exchange would be tax. Uh, it's just crazy. So. You know, it it there's there's hope that that um, this may be uh, you know stated somewhat for political purposes as much as anything else. Great. So, well, thank yeah. you guys, everyone, for um, your presentations and uh, your input. Is there any questions or comments from the gallery? How do we chat in this thing? Let me show the conversation. I'm just going to paste this link. Um, here is the link. Kevin, great. if you can grab this, it'd be great. So, um, by the way, this meeting has been recorded, and I would love for everyone to send out to any of your clients or anyone who has questions about uh, any of that stuff, Kevin's presentation because I thought that was awesome. So uh, it'll be in the Teams thing. And if you have questions or can't find it, let me know. But uh, thank you, Kevin. You're, that was awesome. 
And Jared, thank you for your perspective and everyone, thanks for joining. Hey, Kevin, yeah. Travis Yates here. Can I ask you a quick question? You can ask, yes. It's kind of more of a technical question. You mentioned that when you're comparing the kind of case study scenario of the 35-year-old guy, I mean, over like a 30-year period, does, um, you know, in the American Families Plan scenario, you'd said there's really no um, no gain because the depreciation is offsetting that. I mean, is that real? Is that, is that I mean, is that really going to match that? I mean, is there really not going to be any gain over a 20 to 25-year period? Uh, <clears throat> Keyword is taxable gain. That's the benefit of owning in real estate. You're able to take what I call fake depreciation. Uh, when Jared buys his new car, he's able to write it off over the next three years. And when he goes to trade it in, it's only worth, you know, and at the end of that three years, it's worth maybe 40%. It has actually depreciated, right? But when Jared buys real estate, he gets to depreciate. Calculated at 80% of the purchase price. So for my scenario, I took $320,000. You divide that by 27 and a half years, and are 27 and a half, and you get to write off that amount of money every year. You take it as depreciation. Um, the government assumes that house is depreciating, and after 27 and a half years, the house will have gone away. Well, it doesn't. It actually appreciates in value. When you sell it, the government has a tax called depreciation recapture. You have to pay it back at a 25% tax rate, um, but, but it offsets. So the income you have in rental housing is uh, you, have, you get real income, but you don't have to pay tax on it because you depreciate it until the end when you sell it, and then you have to repay all that tax benefit that you had. So you pretty much pay it at the end. In the in the depreciation recapture, which is at 25% of your total. Is it 25% of the value or 25% of the depreciation you've you've recorded? 25% of the depreciation you've recorded. Or this is the dirtiest secret that the IRS has, or that you should have recorded, right? They uh, are not going to go back and check your tax um, records to see if you recorded it. They're going to assume, and the court case supports them, they just assume you took your depreciation and you have to pay the tax on it. And if you didn't take it, uh, too bad, you're getting double taxed. So make sure you have a good accountant if you're in real estate investing. But in real life, though, I mean, most of the time the rents go up and you're not able to offset all of the income with depreciation, but but it's still significant. Yeah, it's it's significant. I factored in our model 3% annual rent increases uh, and did not, in, in commercial, you have to go over 35 or 36 years. And you do, uh, after about year 16 or 15, you get above it with standard. But in residential, you're able to depreciate over 27 and a half years. 
and under in standard conditions, you take all that money tax-free. But one of the things people don't talk about in 1031 exchange is when you trade, you have to keep the old basis. Um, and uh, you're only able to uh, increase this, the amount that you increased on the, it gets complex and I didn't factor that into my formula, I should have. Um, uh, but uh, you, you have to keep the old basis, you don't get to start over. And so that's why it catches up and, and you start having taxable gain when you're 1031 exchanging. Yeah, you can't really depreciate uh, more than your basis. Yeah. So, and then, so maybe the subject for another call is uh, mortgage over basis, which is an interesting problem people have. So we can talk about that another day. But uh, yeah, we're getting to, it's 4.31. So I wanna be respectful of everyone's time and thank you everyone. Kevin, that was awesome. And uh, Jared, thanks thank so you. much, Randy. Everybody else, everybody else who joined on, please um, share this recording with your clients and um, reach out to your uh, representatives because this is. I got. I got to just make a comment, Randy, as we finish that that Kevin, your presentation was as clean and clear as anything that anybody has in the country. Um, it is really good. I hope that that can be, you know, that you can get that, we can get that word out. It's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. And Jared, I, we are looking at ways to get this in front of, of key senatorial staff because we see that's the place. Uh, and I believe that the 401k uh, Roth IRA comparison is spot on to believe you nailed it. That's the comparison. And, and people go, oh. You stole my thunder. I, that was my. I came up with that idea a couple weeks ago. Do you know that? No, I, I had didn't. no idea that you, See, you you made it better than what I said. Are in line, but yeah, that's that's what it is. But it's sad uh, where we are, but we'll 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 get through it. That's awesome. All right, me, thanks, guys. So, Kevin, are you going to share that deck with us? I will share the deck, uh, Randy. Great. I'll send you the deck. Um, no, and just put it in the comments right now. I'll sit, I'll share the deck, and I'll have my uh, my marketing department share our newsletter recently that has the five unintended consequences uh, and 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 dial written dialogue about each of those consequences. Um, so uh, so I'll send I'll give you I'll send all that stuff off to Randy and he'll distribute. Great. Hey Kevin, if if you want, I'll stay on the call. I got to I got to mute, but if you want to just uh, keep the call going for a minute, you can add that link into the chat comments, and then everyone will have it on the recording. So well, to my, I'm not up. smart enough to do that, Randy. I've uh, you I, are yeah. smart enough. You just are not brave enough. So no, okay, no, well, it's send me the link. I was send working me. on this presentation all day. I'm uh, not all day. This afternoon. And my my uh, marketing department brought it into me on a on a on a zip drive thing, okay. and I plugged it in, and it's going. And I I don't have a link, but we'll upload it. We'll get a link, uh, and we'll send you also our link to our newsletter. And okay. I don't know where that is. I yeah. I have it out to me. I surround myself with tens, and that's how yep. I'm successful. There you go. Send it to me. 
I'll add it to the team site and it'll be a link. So okay, uh, thank, thank you everyone for joining and we'll see you next week for the Four Street Clinic presentation. Thank you. Okay, awesome. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you.